And we're back. And uh, let's see here. Well, if we jump in some of the stories that are going on today, uh, this was an interesting one, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, that The headline is, The Delaware Department of Justice Targets Victims of Ammo Theft While Cutting the Perp a Break. Well, what happened, and I, I thought this was interesting. I saw the start of this earlier in the week, and uh, there's a 39-year-old felon in Delaware who admitted to stealing more than a half a million rounds of ammunition over the course of a year and selling the pilfered ammo rounds to gang members in Philadelphia and Dover. Um, so, but, but this person is going to be uh, let off with no prison time thanks to a sweetheart deal offered by the state. But the retailer who was the victim of the shoplifter is now in the legal crosshairs of the Delaware Department of Justice. So what this is, is that um, this woman, Daniel Daniel M. Brookins, entered a plea, a guilty plea in the state back in April uh, to one count of possession of ammunition by a person prohibited. Okay, well, apparently she's a felon, so she's not supposed to have any ammunition, or guns for that matter, but she had been going in and systematically stealing ammunition a box or two or a case, you know, like a brick. Well, you know, you can you can do 500 rounds. I mean, a half a million rounds sounds like a lot, and it is, okay. But, um, you know, you can pick up a, a, a little case of brick or a bulk pack of, of 22, and it's... Um, and it's not that hard to hide. Same thing like um, even a box of 59 millimeter or something like that. But she would go into Cabela's. And actually, turns out she not only did Cabela's, but she did uh, Bass Pro Shops and uh, some other stores around Delaware and stuff like that. Well, instead of, uh, you know, prosecuting her to the fullest... They've decided that they're going to go after um, after Cabela's because they did not have the ammunition behind lock and key. Well, you know that if you go to Cabela's here in um, Dundee or Bass Pro Shop or or Dunham's or whatever, the only place that has ammunition behind lock and key is typically like Walmart. And Walmart does it because they uh they knuckled under to the oh we're going to we're going to stop selling assault rifle ammunition and and pistol ammunition. Oh yeah, well. Uh the the thing is is that they're using this the Delaware Department of Justice is going after stores now to try to make it so that they have to have all their ammunition behind lock and key. Now just think about that. When you walk in and you're buying a couple of boxes of shotgun shells or uh, you know maybe you're going to the range. Maybe you got uh, women on target this weekend or kids on the range day so you need a couple thousand rounds. Okay now you're gonna have to go and you got to get the guy with the key and then they'll have to take it to the front of the store for you and what a bunch of crap. But it's a typical example of the uh, anti-gun world um, out there in anti-gun and, and 
uh, gun control groups, uh, you know, they're, they're not going after the person that stole the ammo or sold it on the black market to people in Philadelphia, uh, which is... Uh, an area where you don't <laughs> I would I would think that they should charge her with accessory to murder you know because of all the shootings that go on in uh, in Philadelphia but uh, no they're going to go after the store instead so th we'll have to watch this and see how this comes out um, but I I could just see this turning into something corporate wide where they oh now they're going to have to put it all in locked cabinets with case you know locked glass doors and and uh, you know, those little sliding glass doors with the little cylinder on them and stuff like that. This is just ridiculous. They should be going after the people. Again, uh, when when there's a shooting, they go after the guns and the bullets, not after the person that pulled the trigger. So in this case, stole the ammo. Uh, let's see. Mayor's attempt uh, to blame shooting in constitutional carry on constitutional carry falls flat after the suspect's criminal history is unveiled. This was in Cleveland. Um, uh, Ohio apparently is now a constitutional carry state, and uh, so there was a, a shooting that they had in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, when was it? Uh, June of two twenty-two, something like that. Uh, 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 let's see, law itself. At any rate, the thing is, is that the, um, th there was a shooting that left nine people injured last weekend. So it was just, uh, just a uh, week or two ago. And uh, the mayor of Cleveland tried to pin the blame for the violence on Ohio's constitutional carry law. Okay. Now, uh, that, you know, you could go, oh, look at this. There's blood running in the streets now that we have constitutional carry. But when you actually dig into it and the press conference that they had, you know, this guy was trying to say across the state from Cleveland to Columbus to Cincinnati, we've seen an uptick in shootings across our state. Well, that may be true, but it doesn't have anything to do with constitutional carry. The guy that did that shooting was a felon. Okay, and quite he had been arrested twice before just this year. I guess you might ask yourself, uh, why are people getting out on uh, on bail or out on uh, leniency to uh, go and shoot other people and rob people and kill people? Okay, the guy was already a felon. Okay. Matter of fact, let's see, he was convicted of drug trafficking, and then he was convicted of a felony offense, and he wasn't able to lawfully carry a firearm. Well, the whole idea of constitutional carry is that you have to be legally able to own and carry a gun. Ohio's permitless carry doesn't come into play at all under, uh, let's you know, in in that circumstance, under SB 215, only those people who can lawfully possess a firearm can carry without a license. Okay, and given that this guy had quite a bit of previous criminal history, it would have precluding him to do precluded him from doing so. So. Um, and actually, when they go on, the man had been arrested and was waiting trial in Lorain County for drug traffic and drug possession. And in that case, he was released on a $5,000 bail. 
probably 10% down, 500 bucks. Big deal, okay? Uh, other records show a man matching Jennings' name and birth date was busted again in Lorraine on a separate drug case in March of this year. So here's a guy who is a habitual, habitual criminal who is not legal to own a firearm, but the mayor comes out and goes, well, you know, this uh, constitutional carry is responsible for this. It is not, okay? And any knowing person realizes that, okay? Uh, let's see, next story. We've got the um, World Economic Forum, okay? The World Economic Forum economists illustrate the dangers of giving businesses and governments control over how you spend your money, okay? Well, the FBI has colluded with banks to monitor gun purchases. There's a lot of stuff going on. I think you probably all have seen on the news when, uh, who was it, Ray, uh, the uh, FBI director Ray was being grilled over uh, uh, their handling of the, uh, you know, the Biden uh, uh, collusion cases and Biden bribery. And actually now it's, it's uh, interesting about the, uh, the whole cocaine in the White House thing. Uh, <laughs> And and so uh, it turns out though that they the FBI was colluding with banks to monitor gun purchases, and um, that had in particular to do with January sixth. They voluntarily these banks came forward and said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we'll give you records of anybody who was in uh, Washington D.C. on January fifth or sixth or seventh and we'll even give you any records that they have if they've ever bought a firearm. Oh. Well, that's not even supposed to be kept as records. Why are you why are you keeping that and giving it to the FBI? Well, this guy from the World Economic Forum, this ec economist, um he said uh digital you know, digital currency. This is the thing where they want to take away our cash and, and stuff like that and everything. Oh, it'll all be on a card. It'll be so wonderful. You don't need to have cash anymore. And you can just, uh, it'll come right out of the bank, you know, and, and you don't even have to worry about that. Yeah, I worry about that. Okay. And um, so what will happen is that the central bank digital currency, CBDC, it's called, equals a cashless society. And this guy made a point of the fact that uh, this uh, World Economics Forum guy explains that the government can be more, uh, that having the ability to have digital currency, that the government can then more easily block things they deem, they deem less desirable, like, say, ammunition purchases or gun purchases. Nope, can't do it. I don't think that you should do it. Uh, they <laughs> no, that's not nice. What do you need all that ammunition for, Mister uh, Cupkey? There. Well, we're gonna we're we're gonna have to block that on your new cashless card there, and and no guns for you. Okay, it's like the soup Nazi. Only it'll be the gun and ammo Nazi. Okay, no soup for you. No guns for you. No ammo for you. Uh, anyway. Uh, and, and if you don't think that this could happen, they actually had this come out of the records now in how they're handling and prosecuting all of the people from the, um, from the January 6th 
uh, quote incursion uh, insurrection that they had in you know in New York or in uh, Washington D.C. and they actually have gone after bank records and gun records. So you don't think that can happen? Well, it's happening. Okay. Actually, I think uh, who was it? Uh, I was listening to some of the guys that were questioning Ray. And uh, you know what they need to do? They need to defund those guys. I don't think you don't you don't want to defund the police. That's what we need for law enforcement. But uh, I think we need to defund the uh, the FBI until somebody gets in there that is going to restore them to a uh, non political basis and treat everybody the same. Okay. Oh, let's see what do we got here. Um, we are celebrating. Yes, we are celebrating this. 47 months of over 1 million in gun sales. Okay? So the more gun sales we have in the United States, the more impossible the idea of disarmament becomes. It's one thing to ban guns. Okay, it's one thing to go, well, well, you're going to uh, ban these guns and you can't have them anymore. Uh, just like we uh, took away your bump stocks and your pistol braces. Yeah. Oh, well, that's still up for debate. But, um, but it's one thing to ban guns. But if you want to try and round up hundreds of millions of firearms, that's a logistical nightmare. And especially when you can't even get people to... Uh, you know, any of these things where they've done, um, like, pistol brace um, uh, pistol brace registrations and AR-15 registrations and things like that, where they've had 10%, uh, 15% compliance, if that. That's the only one of the ones they know about. Um, lots of gun sales just aren't aren't just good for the firearms industry, it's good for all of us, okay? Plus, a robust number of firearms being sold suggests that there isn't a lot of support for some of the some of the more extreme and extensive gun control that we see out there. When people are buying a million guns a month, these are all voters, okay? These are all people that are... Uh, uh, going to go to the polls and when when somebody's making a case of well i i believe in gun control and we're not we're going to take them all away and assault weapons bans and all that but well wait a minute but we just sold a million well don't worry about those people uh we're going to take it away anyway okay no i think that um that uh it is showing the the uh, soft underbelly of gun control there that there are more people who are you know they're actually saying by the way in this article here they say that they uh there's an estimate that there's over 400 million and that may even be too low now when you consider that in the past 47 months so in the past four years we've sold 47 million firearms okay and that's not just uh people that um own firearms already that's a lot of first-time gun buyers okay and uh by the way once they get in there and they get a gun then they go i always tell people uh, when they go what should i get for a gun and it's go well for your first gun they go well what do you mean i go well you're gonna get a first gun and then you're going to maybe it might be something for self-defense it might be something for um 
target shooting or just enjoyment like that. But then you decide, oh, I think I'd like to have a shotgun. Well, I'd like to learn how to hunt. I'd, I'm going to have to get, and, and then for self-defense, I'm going to need a 9 millimeter, and then I'm going to need a 22 for plinking. And all people, they don't buy just a gun. They, they buy several guns. Okay, now I want to say, and we've talked about this in the past. What if you could only have, you know, three guns or four guns, okay? Uh, well, you'd want a twenty two, and you'd want a shotgun. You'd want a, a self-defense handgun and maybe a, um, uh, maybe a, a modern sporting rifle or a, a hunting rifle or something like that. Now, I don't fortunately have to make those decisions because I, I have enough of everything, okay? But um, the thing is, is that, uh, let's see, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, the industry representative uh, said that 2,152,187 background checks happened last month. Now, after that was uh, taken care of, 1,110,696 were likely gun purchases and transfers, the rest being for carry and security re, uh, security permits. So, so, so what happens is, uh, you know, you can't just count a, a, a NICS check as an absolute um, sale because, you know, there are, of course, there are NICS checks that result in prohibited people, so that one's not a sale. You, there are also people who are going to get a CPL, uh, you know, a CCW or whatever they call it in your state, a concealed carry license, and um, and uh, that that so they run a background check on you, but it's not a purchase. Now it may have been a purchase previously because they were buying a defensive handgun or a carry gun or something like that, but. Uh, they 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 go they go through the numbers and work it out to see um, um, how many are actually purchases and transfers. So it it's about sixty percent or so of the uh, numbers that they get actually end up uh, being sales. So. Anyway, uh, I'm going to assume that this pace will continue for at least one more month. So that means that looking at four years of at least a million firearm sales per month, that's another 12 million guns in law-abiding hands each and every year, or at least with no signs of slowing down. That means that 400 million gun estimate is going to be outdated very soon, assuming it's not already. Okay, and to and uh, to the detriment of the gun lobby, it's a very good thing that 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 people are buying guns and getting into the shooting sports. Okay, uh, let's see. I was going to say uh, this was interesting. I think about this every every week when I do my um, my uh, show prep, and I I have a number of websites that I go to that have stories and bits about um, new firearms and legal things and politics and stuff like that. Some of them are are available to everybody. Some of them are ones that I actually subscribe to and pay money for uh, because it's a, a good way to get that kind of information in a conglomerate type sense. And uh, one of the ones I go to that I don't have to pay for. It's free. It's called guns.com. Now, guns.com is actually a, um, uh, mainly they sell guns, but they also have a news section. And so um, 
But it's interesting, when you click on guns.com, the first thing that comes up is it says, due to increased state legislation around firearms, you must be 18 to access our site. Are you at least 18 years old? Yes or no? Okay. <laughs> and you can click yes and say, remember me for 30 days. I remember uh, and I confirm that this is not a shared site. So tell me something. Um, this is like, do you double promise pinky swear that you're 18 years old? What if you're only 15 and you're looking up um, guns? Which might be something that you do. I did when I was 15. Not on the internet. I read books and stuff like that. I mean, I, I watched war movies. I watched uh, Combat. I watched uh, 12 O'Clock High. I watched Rat Patrol. I could. I would read anything I could. I used to draw pictures in, in notebooks at school of uh, B-17s flying over, you know, Europe and dropping bombs and stuff like that. That's just what you do when you're a kid. And you know what? It's a healthy thing to know history, to have an interest in, in technical things like that. So when these states come out and go, well, you must be 18 to even look at these things. or, But then there's no check on it, okay? there's a, it, it essentially is, uh, do you pinky swear that you are 18 years old? <laughs> Double, triple pinky swear. Oh, well. It just makes me mad. I, I, so this week I actually had to mention it. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's an interesting one. I don't even know if I want to get into this yet. Yeah, I can start it. Um, a story is called Why Buy an AR-10? Now, I don't have an AR-10. Um, I know a lot of guys who do. And AR-10s are essentially an AR platform that's made for larger uh, larger rounds and uh, larger calibers, like 308, like uh, 6.5 Creedmoor, and other things like that. So, what is an AR-10? Well, I actually have. I that's not to say I don't have uh, uh, 308 battle rifles. I do, but uh, but they're not AR-10s. They're they're HK-91s and things like that. Okay, and AK-47s and and SKSs and all this kind of stuff. So I don't have an AR-10 though. But um, and they're, they're, they call them a lot of different things. Ruger has one they call an SFAR. Um, they all start from the Armalite roots. Remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago about uh, what AR stands for? Armalite rifle, not assault rifle, uh, not automatic rifle or anything else like that. It stands for Armalite rifle. Um when compared to the AR-15, which is commonly chambered in 223 and 5.56, 5 the AR-10 family fires larger calibers, reaching greater distances with theoretically increased potency. The advantage generally means a heavier firearm, and in most cases significantly increases recoil. The AR-10s are commonly used for competition and hunting, longer range shooting, or just good planking and having fun at the range. Um, there are several reasons to get an AR-10. And actually, I, I had not a thought about this from the versatility, but if you get an AR-10, and I'll get into this in a little bit, uh, you get an AR-10, it has a, a, a larger magazine well, 
and the ability for larger bolts and stuff. So you're not necessarily just limited to 7.62 NATO, you know, 308. You can use quite a few different um, cartridges. So uh, we'll... You know what? We'll talk about that when we get back. It's the uh, the end of the segment right now. So uh, this is Dick Kupke at Trigger Talk Radio here at Wham Talk sixteen hundred and ninety two point seven FM. I'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome to Trigger Talk Radio with your host Dick Kupke. From handguns to rifles and hunting to self-defense, even a bit of politics. It's time to exercise your First and Second Amendment rights. Call and join the conversation. 734-822-1600. And now, your host, Dick Kupke. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to Trigger Talk, the second hour of the show. And... Um we were talking about all sorts of fun things, including uh, AR-10s. But first, I want to point out that this is a pre-recorded show because I am out at uh, Tri-County Sportsman's League today doing Kids on the Range Day, where we're teaching uh, 60 kids to to shoot, which is... And actually, it's not just the kids, although they're the only ones shooting during the day, but uh, their parents are encouraged to uh, come, we, that's why we we have groups of five, and the parents, one or both parents, are encouraged to travel around with them to the different venues that are scheduled, and they can observe, so they can enjoy watching their their either eight to eleven year old or their twelve to eighteen year old participate in this fun event. So um, it's actually more than just kids on the range day; it's more like family day on the range. So it's it's a lot of fun. Um, so we are talking about, uh, and that's well, that's why I'm doing a uh, a pre-recorded show. Now um, it will be up by um, by tomorrow on the website. So if you want to listen to any of it or or whatever, if you don't want to listen to the rest of it now, but you want to catch it tomorrow, you can download the podcast by going to the. Uh, 2023 podcast page and it'll be up there where you can download it either as a mp3 file or as a mp4 which is an ipod kind of file also um it's nice that uh, ed bondarenko uh puts them up on spotify for me and maybe even another platform i don't recall but uh thank you ed for doing that for me um i i'm fine with recording things i'm fine with doing shows and putting them up on my website and putting them on that podcast page i did uh experiment with uh, spotify at one point and did it once or twice but ed does it all the time so thank you so much for doing that for me ed i also want to take a minute and thank uh, last week at the uh, beginning of the show i mentioned that i was going to be gone this week and that I was going to either do a, a best of or a pre-recorded show. And during the show, I got a text from a, uh, an old friend who uh, is retired now, but uh, from Don Haig, who is one of the owners or previously one of the owners of, um, of the firing line in uh, in uh, Westland and and 33,000 Ford Road and and the firing line had been uh, 
a sponsor, but they also had been, they had done a show of their own and stuff like that. But it, it didn't work out for this time. Uh, maybe in the future, uh, Don offered, you know, hey, Dick, uh, maybe I can do, you know, if you, if you need help with that, I could maybe guest host for you. And I was thinking, you know, that would be kind of fun to, to have somebody who could uh, step in and uh, do a guest host job for me. And uh, in this case, um, uh, it didn't work out for this time, but maybe in the future. Well, we'll have to see because he was a law enforcement officer and sold guns for years and years and years, has a, a different perspective on things than, than I do. Uh, I think we think very much alike, but he's got a law enforcement background, so I'm sure his comments on what's going on out there would might be a little more uh, emphatic than mine. He was the one who first told me about the mandatory twos, which is like when these guys get shot or these guys get caught and arrested in shootings and having guns and stuff, you do a mandatory two years no matter what. Well, that would be really nice to see in places like Chicago and Baltimore and and New York and, and uh, Washington, D.C. and stuff like that because um, uh, th- this whole thing where they've got – uh, these lenient prosecutors plea bargaining things down like the, the, the that happened to the shooter uh, at Michigan State up there. Uh, the the uh, prosecutor, one of the George Soros-funded uh, prosecutors, uh, let him plea down a gun charge, and it didn't prohibit them from buying a gun, okay? Uh, they were a felon. And they should have not been able to buy a gun, but no, they plea bargained it down because, uh, gee, we we couldn't uh, possibly uh, charge somebody with something that they actually did wrong. Uh, besides, that might be racist, okay? So they have to uh, uh, plea bargain it down, and so now three kids are dead at Michigan State because of that. So uh, I'm sure that uh, he would have some comments about that as well. Uh, I'm going to come back to the uh, AR-10 discussion now. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Reasons to snag an AR-10. Common chamberings on semi-auto repeaters. This is what I started to talk about. The standard AR-10 chambering is 762 by 51 or 762 NATO, which is uh, directly related to 308 Winchester. Um, While that's by far the most readily found chambering, the AR-10 design allows it to host many similarly sized rounds, including choices like the 6.5 Creedmoor, 243 Winchester, 338 Federal, and even a 300 Winchester Magnum. And you know, there's a whole bunch of them uh, that people are doing as wildcat things out there. You know, uh, 277 Wolverine and 300 Blackout and all this kind of stuff that, that uh, what happens then, like a standard AR-15 where you buy the you you buy a receiver and actually the receiver itself is the part that's the gun that you register okay the receiver is the serialized part and it's got the trigger group in it and the magazine well and stuff like that but you can actually um change the uppers between you know like with the 556 five, you could change between anything that would fit 
in in that magazine well, with that magazine well well on an AR10 you know the 308 the 6.5 Creedmoor uh, you could actually change the upper to a um, to a different upper changing your caliber and stuff like that and you would just have to have the right size magazine to fit in that well and in the ar-10 they've kind of like standardized that well size so so it gives you um you know some some unusual things that you can't do with a normal rifle um you cannot very easily on say a bolt action or a a pump or something like that you cannot easily change calibers okay uh you would have to change you know use a barrel wrench and take it out of the receiver and uh, now there are some guns that that they do that uh gosh there's is it tika and some other brands that that actually they make um interchangeable barrels and then you just change the the barrel and maybe the bolt but on an ar-15 or an ar-10 you can just pull two pins out and change the whole upper which the upper includes the bolt assembly and the barrel and the sighting system on it and stuff and actually you could keep it like for example you could have an ar-10 in 308 and you've got a a red dot on it or you know like an eotech or a a, a, a a cog or something like that on it and then you could take pull two pins change the upper to something totally different like a 300 blackout or whatever and it would it would have its own sighting system on it that's already sighted in so you're not having to recite i mean what a bunch of versatility it, it gives you okay uh let's see like the AR-15, the AR-10 offers serious firepower, whether it's for competition, shooting, hunting, or range time. The typical magazine capacity is 10 rounds, though, on an AR-10. Um, both 5 and 20 rounders are commonly available. And I do have, like, 20 rounds on a larger caliber like that is about as big as you go, typically. That's like my PTR-91. I use... Uh, uh h&k mags that are 20 rounders and stuff like that which is plenty because they're heavy too <laughs> and the guns are heavy and the ammo is heavy okay uh let's see certainly the ar-10 houses fairly po potent centerfire rounds however given the semi-automatic action driving the rifle recoil is usually less so um if you're shooting a 308 it will be because of it being semi-automatic it will have less recoil than often than like a uh, Remington 700 or something like that and actually by the time you uh, not only does it have the the buffer tube and the the recoil mechanism in it but quite frequently they are um, they are threaded barrels so you're changing not only are you ch uh, you know uh, changing to a larger caliber or something like that but you might have a compensator on it like i have a compensator on my uh, ptr that that knocks the the uh, recoil down by 50 percent and you can do that routinely or with um, uh, suppressors you can use so let's see customization okay the ar-10s share much of the same customization abilities with an ar-15 so just like the AR-15 has all sorts of adjustable f 
and modular furniture, uh, meaning the butt stock and the and the four stock and the whether it's an M lock or Picatinny rail or something like that, um, uh, you know, and and pushing a button and you got a six position butt stock, uh, higher comb height. You can have a. a a butt stock that that comes up and 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 gives you a cheek weld and things like that. I mean, you can customize it. Often, the forward rail is designed to accommodate all sorts of accessories like lasers or lights. Um, I I have um, weapons lights on some of mine with uh, a momentary button that you just hit the button and and the uh, the light comes on. I have them both in uh, LED style and the old um, Krypton style, too. Uh, let's see. And actually, triggers and things are easy to change, too. Remember, the AR-15 is is and the AR-10 are like the the big boy version of a, a, of a Ruger 10-22. Very customizable. You can modify it to your heart's content. It's like an erector set or Legos for adults, okay? So, uh, and in the case of the AR-10, it's, it's then uh, firing a, a more potent round, okay? Uh, let's see. Oh, and actually, there's, and it's not just um, uh, rifles, okay? Though not technically an AR-10, the platform lends itself to shotgunners as well. Uh, there's an AR-12 out there that's essentially a 12-gauge semi-automatic shotgun built around the AR-10. So, you know, there's the Sega ones and AK-style ones and things like that, but there are AR-10-based shotguns, too, which is a really neat thing uh, to... uh, And I don't have anything like that yet. I've got uh, my share of... um, of pump and semi-automatic shotguns, but I don't have any on a platform like an AR-10 or a, a Sega or something like that. I don't know. There's, Gosh, I just realized I have a hole in my collection. I'm going to have to fill that somehow. Uh, let's see. Uh, now, uh, final thoughts. No matter what the reason you choose for owning an AR-10, the benefits are ample. An AR-10 is user-friendly, practical, and comfortable for a wide range of shooters, body types, and uses. From hunting to competition to tactical work and everything in between, these customizable, adjustable, durable rifles continue to show steady sales year after year. So, when people talk about, you know, well, we got to ban the AR-15. Well, the AR-10 is not. An, <laughs> in fact, I remember I had a meme that was funny. It says, if you're not sure whether to get an AR-15, uh, then get yourself an AR-10. It's just like it, only uh, t- five ARs uh, more safe. <laughs> I think I thought that was funny. Well, I guess I cracked myself up on that sometime. Uh, let's see next gun i was going to talk about uh this is a new one that just came out and uh it's made by taurus okay taurus has had some good firearms recently uh and they've actually done an outstanding job of improving quality in the last decade uh and they 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 actually make some of their many of their guns are made in the u.s there are some guns that are made in brazil still but this one is a Brazilian made, and it's called a C45 Thunderbolt. 
And I think it's kind of interesting because I have a I have a, a soft spot for pump action rifles. And what this is is the C45 is a pump action rifle that's designed off of a old style. It actually looks kind of like a 1893 or something. It's got um it's got a side gate for loading. It's a tubular magazine. Uh, it means that that means it holds 14 rounds. It's oh, there's what it is. It's af, it's designed on after the 1882 Spencer Roper pump rifle, and uh, I want to say uh, they also came out with one a Winchester Model 1890 and a Colt Lightning Slide Action 1887. These are all pretty neat guns and. Um, they actually look a lot like an old lever action, okay? Except that they have a pump instead of a lever. And I I like pump actions. I have uh several pumps in um uh, in 22, but I also have um a couple of pumps in larger calibers. I have uh, a Remington 760 and .30-06 and a Remington 760 and 300 Savage. Um and so but those are magazine fed. This is tubular fed. And so, you know, it's got that long second tube that's underneath the barrel. And the barrel is actually octagonal. So this looks like an old gun, okay? And it uh, it's octagonal. Uh, let me look to see. Yeah, it's got an octagonal receiver. And the newest one, the original one I'm looking at was octagonal uh, on the similar, like the 1882. But the the newer one is is beautiful stainless. Um, It's got a, it loads through a side gate. Uh, It's got an elevator that lifts it up to, to load in. It's a top ejector and it holds 14, 45 colts okay or long colts okay what a neat idea and i can imagine it would be good uh for like cowboy action shooting if you're using you know single action armies or something in 45 colt you wanted to have a uh rifle that shot the same round you could do that i didn't look to see if it does 40 no that would be a 44 um it it so it it actually it's 43 inches long it has a 26 inch barrel it weighs 6.89 pounds um holds 14 plus one so 15 rounds and it's got a decent trigger pull like five five pounds uh and it it's kind of slim it's just an attractive firearm and they've got some pros and cons against it and i had not thought about this as a con but it but it yeah, I understand it the, the way they wrote it. Um, the, let's start with the pros. It's unique, but has uh, classic cowboy looks. It's very reliable. It's fun in the forty-five Colt chamber. It's low recoil because it's heavy, and the forty-five Colt is not overly harsh. Uh, long sight radius, so with its open sights, it's it's very um, accurate, lightweight, enjoyable to shoot, and it has a 14 plus 1 capacity. But one of the things that it's got as a con, and I didn't think about it, was that um, it has a very curved 
rear butt plate. Are you you know what I'm talking about? It's um, where the where the butt plate is. So many times you'll have guns that have either um, a a rubber butt plate or might have just a metal or a plastic butt plate on it, but they're fairly flat. And so when you pull it up to your arm or to your shoulder, it 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 fits pretty much anywhere. Well, the 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 butt plate on this 45, uh, the C45. It looks very, very curved. Well, what happens with that is if you don't have it properly on your shoulder, you end up with a very pointy top or bottom into your shoulder. You're going to get a big bruise from that. So I had not thought about that being a, um, a con, but uh, I I definitely think this would be a fun rifle to have and it'd be a neat um, addition to almost anybody's collection. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm looking here. This is an interesting story on Let There Be Light, the pros and cons of weapons-mounted lights, okay? And I I just mentioned I have have some long guns with weapons lights on them. Uh, They're meant for nighttime kind of stuff. I have a, oh gosh, what have I got it on? I've got it on a uh, pistol caliber carbine and on an AR-15 and things like that. They also have good sights on them too, either EOTEX or um, or uh, Vortexes with, uh, uh, the Vortex has a um, reticle, a illuminated reticle, so it kind of helps in the dark too, but, but to have a, a weapons light is a nice thing to have. And uh, I'm used to mostly having um, weapons lights on pistols because I have nighttime guns uh, that are placed where if I needed a gun in the middle of the night, it's guns that have lights on them. So, uh, but it turns out that that's I. It's not as popular for a carry gun, okay? And um, now, so. I can imagine having a gun in the house where you can get to it and it's got a weapons light on it. But for carrying the firearm, where you're trying to go with a um, trying to go with a smaller handgun type of thing, uh, usually for concealed carry and it's meant to be small enough to conceal. Do you have? They asked a bunch of people out there and they said, "Do you have a light on your carry gun?" And 31% said yes, but 69% said no. And I would have to fall into that category. I do not have any carry guns with weapons lights on them. I do have carry guns with lasers on them, but not weapons lights. So uh, it's interesting that people, you know, why why do people like weapons-mounted lights? WMLs, they call them. Or why do they not like them, Okay. And um, I want to say the cons or the the drawbacks tend to be added bulk and weight. Okay, that's true. Uh, usually they have two like CR-123 um, uh, batteries in them, although lately they're doing ones that are rechargeable. And holsters, you have to have a holster specially made to accommodate that light. So... Um, I don't have a holster that accommodates one of those lights. So if I was going to add a weapons light, I'd be 
Uh, not only the cost of the light. Okay, I don't know what happened there. But uh, I'm going to have to stop this for a second and figure out where... Well, no, uh, I'll, I'll continue. And if I repeat, uh, let's see, added bulk and weight, holster accommodation for and the cost of the light. I have to point my gun at something to use the flashlight, and the bad guy knows where I am. So that is, it gives away your position. Same, a lot of people have that same concern about lasers, but... Um, uh, I, I I think with the flashlight, it would be more of a concern. That's why my flashlights that are on my weapons lights actually have momentary switches. You can have them on, you can have them off, you can do it momentary, or if you double tap on the switch, it does a strobe effect, which then essentially is to blind the bad guy sufficiently so that you, um, you, uh, uh, you know, have time to react and they you know if you ever see a strobe at nighttime uh you know what that does to your eyes with a flash from a camera or anything like that so it has a disorienting effect for the attacker it frees your support hand and it positive you can use it to positively identify your targets so we'll talk more about this in a little bit uh there are other considerations about the the holsters and things like that so we'll talk about that in a little bit this is dick Cupkey at trevor talk radio here at wham talk 1600 i'll be back in a few minutes <laughs> And we are back, and we're rolling into the final segment for today. Um, I just was going through the list of the items on weapons-mounted lights. Uh, we talked about the cons, uh, which are, I'll briefly uh, go over them again, added bulk and weight and cost, uh, holster accommodations and cost of the light. Um, another con is I have to point my gun at something to use the flashlight. Now, that's... I always have a flashlight with me in my pockets anyway. Um, so I I have, and I have practiced the bit of holding a, a gun and holding a light at the same time. Um, but if you only have the one that's on your firearm, then if you are looking through things, you have to be pointing, you know, like around, you know, you're around corners or in cubby holes and things like that. You, you're pointing the gun at where you're pointing the light so i could see that could be of concern and the bad guy knows where i am um so now if we go to the pros and um these are some very good ones because remember you're always responsible for your target especially at nighttime and in the house and stuff like that it is critical to positively identify your target. I don't think I need to tell you that there is no takebacks once you pull that trigger. The light will absolutely improve your ability to identify what something is and whether it's a threat in a low light situation. Whether or not you should be using a handheld light or a weapons mounted light depends on the situation you're in. You have, your effectiveness with that tool will likely be dependent upon your training situational awareness, and critical thinking skills. Uh, another pro is that it does, uh, one of the more obvious benefits to a weapons-mounted light is not having a handheld light in your support hand. It is possible to reload and clear malfunctions and do things with your support hand, uh, like 
holding off somebody or whatever. Uh, but you need to train, you know, if you're trying to hold a, a flashlight in your hand, you need to train with that to be able to shoot like that. If you don't train with it, you're probably going to be stuck uh, where uh, you're not proficient at it, okay? And then the pro, let there be light, blinding an attacker. To demonstrate how effective a pocket torch can be, um, he actually had a guy be a, a victim for him was a good support in the video and as you can see there's something to be said about a sudden being blasted in the face with a bright light or a strobe uh, that will give them temporary night blindness and you may be able to you know defeat the situation so the conclusion and comments uh, have made one thing certain you guys have no shortage of opinions on this topic. At the end of the day, there is simply uh, there is no simple black and white or right or wrong answer. Weapons-mounted lights are useful and effective tools. Whether or not you should use a weapons-mounted light depends entirely on your needs and the level of your training and experience you have acquired. If you don't know how to use a tool properly, its usefulness will be diminished in your hands. And the, that includes the, the gun. Train hard and consistently. Seek advice when you lack knowledge. Don't make assumptions. Practice situational awareness and stay alert. So uh, that I, I want to say um, I I have just taken them for granted. Although I gotta say many of them are um, are different nowadays than they were. Uh, 10, 15 years ago where you had to use CR-123s. Many of them have built-in batteries now that uh, actually have just like a little magnetic pad where you plug it in and hook it up to a USB and you can charge it. Uh, but then again, th that might mean leaving your gun out hooked up to a charger if you keep it on there like that. So you need to think about the safety in that aspect as well, like leaving the gun out on your dresser to charge uh, if you have kids in the house and things like that. So I, I prefer, uh, I use ones that have the uh, CR-123 batteries. They have a 10-year shelf life. I periodically change mine. Um, I, I Some of them I don't think I don't know. I'll have to look to see. My oldest one probably has got a battery five or six years in it now. Uh, and that, that same thing, that, that gun doesn't get shot that often um, because it's got my weapons light on it, and um, I, I keep it in a, in a spot where I can know I can get to it. And so you need to think about those kind of things when, you, when you're outfitting yourself with the different... Uh, kinds of things that you can that you can uh, equip your firearms with okay well let's move on uh, I was reading a story about drone sharpshooters and a British army uh, and actually apparently the US Army is buying a high-tech Israeli rifle optic for um, unmanned aerial vehicle hard kill option meaning drones okay and this is kind of interesting because um what it is is the 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 british army is being they're they're beginning to field a, a rifle mounted day night control system that includes a hard uh drone hard kill mode 
What is that? Well, this actually is like video game stuff that actually interacts with real firearms. And they're at the rifle level, like for an AR-15, and you actually can update existing um, M4s and SCARs and bullpups of various kinds like Tavors and things like that with this system that is, uh, and it doesn't give a price on it, but it is a system, imagine like about twice the size of an EOTech, okay, like a 512 or something like that. And um, what you're doing, and it's only right now for 5.56 rifles, you know, like uh, uh, 5.56 NATO. And the thing is, is that, uh, and they're calibrated for its characteristics. Um, so what happens is this firearm uh, site, you can, and, and then they show it ostensibly for drones, but then they show using it on ground targets too. And what happens is, think of it like, um, oh gosh, we've all seen these things before, especially when watching like Top Gun Maverick, okay? the You're looking at the site, through the site, and you're looking at a drone, let's say, and when you pull the trigger, it puts a box around the drone, okay? And it follows the drone, okay? And what happens is that when the box lights up, it lets the gun fire, okay? Now, it's interesting because you're not actually, you know, like looking through a site, waiting for the box to light up, and then you pull the trigger. What you do is you um, you pull the trigger, and it waits for the site to confirm that it's on what it was locked on, and then it lets it fire. That is interesting. That is, it's almost like a um, a missile on a on a fighter. You know, think of Top Gun Maverick again with his Sidewinder missiles or Phoenix missiles or whatever they're using. How remember they're following the target and the the box lights up and boom, then the then the uh, the uh, missile takes off. Same thing for guns. Well, this actually then is uh, and it's called. It's interesting. It's uh, made by. Uh, let's see, an Israeli company. It's called Smart Shooter, and it they actually call it a Smash 2000L. I don't, let's see if we can find out what Smash stands for, but Smart Shooter. And I went to their website and looked at it, and they're, they're showing all sorts of videos, but not just for drones. And I thought, well, for drones, that's kind of cool. But also, I'm thinking actually applications of, uh, duck hunting or pheasant hunting or something like that where if you could lock on the the um the uh target maybe it's a a pheasant coming at you or going away from you or whatever and then when it boom it lights up boom it goes and it guarantees that it's a hit and it tracks it and actually you know follows the movement so it's it it it's like building in your lead and stuff i and and they show it on the ground they show a guy you know like in um in cover dense cover and walking through a woods and stuff like that and he pulls on the trigger and then when the shot opens up boom the gun goes well 
I don't know. That that kind of worries me a little bit. You'd have to have some discipline on that. Otherwise, you know, uh, I, and then it, they're t- touting it as a safety measure because uh, it only allows the gun to fire at what you're, what you're locked on. Um, but that also could be abused i mean from a from a drone standpoint it makes sense maybe from uh maybe from a it, it, they they're claiming it turns you into a sniper well it doesn't turn you into a sniper it turns you into like a a, a loaded weapon that's waving around until it locks on something i i am a little concerned about that so at any rate we'll uh we'll have to follow that um and they've got they say that the u.s army is already using it in syria interesting and they said well why don't we know about that and it's actually because uh the u.s department of defense can only announce his contracts of over seven and a half million dollars and so when they're trying out some of these things if it's only a five million dollar trial or a three million dollar trial it goes unreported but interestingly enough the 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 reporter was able to piece it together from what's going on with the british contracts with uh, the u.s army and syria and stuff to say hey this is out there so let's watch it's called um smash sites okay uh and actually the british ordered 225 of them i don't know how many how much money that actually um amounts to but uh i think it's very interesting to see you know this this also could lead into the whole smart weapon that discussion where um you know the guns uh the companies that are out there trying to develop a gun that only shoots in the hands of the person who uh, it belongs to and things like that. And that now then they can, uh, on this little portable sight that just fits on the top of a rifle, uh, now they've got something that'll bolt on and control the fire control system in the gun that it will not let it fire until it's locked on a target. So think of how you... uh, how imagine that if the anti-gunners start going well we only want guns that you can lock on a target and it'll stick with you know i guess there's i i'm skeptical because i see uh abuse in every technology okay um good old iron sights cannot be abused in that way so uh let's see what else we got uh nashville police don't uh, they have the funds but they don't have the staff to put resources in elementary schools very interesting this is remember the nashville shooting that took place at uh covenant school with the uh, uh oh we can't talk about that that was a trans shooter okay but you know that would be bad to talk about that so um uh the nashville shooter oh just typical gun violence nothing to do with trans stuff at all okay but uh what happened is the uh the governor and the mayors and stuff like that they all went out and they said for nashville here they are going to fund 140 million dollars worth of um sros school resource officers and um they they've got the money and uh they've got it's appropriated they just need to write the grants they've got um the money for $75,000 per year per 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 SRO and i've got to believe there's there have to be a goodly number of veterans out there and uh actually probably um 
disenchanted, defunded police officers and stuff who could take those kind of positions. But they've got um, <laughs> they've got half the positions, uh, sixty. Let's see, half of the sixty positions. So of their sixty high schools in Nashville, apparently, they've only got half the positions full. The other half are vacant, and they've got. 70 more officers to put into um, or positions for school resource officers for every elementary school that are going to go unfulfilled this year, because not because they don't have the money, but because they don't have the, the officers. I want to say somebody, and it goes on when you read this story, uh, somebody is not trying very hard to fill those positions, apparently, because I have to believe that there is any number of um, retired police officers, uh, veterans, um, other um uh, people that would be willing to take a job like that at seventy-five grand a year to be a school resource officer and to help make the kids safe in the school system. And actually, it turns out that they, that they're saying, well, um, let's see. But staff, let's see. There's what? Where did they just say it? The the precinct members and people like that, city council and stuff, are taking their own time trying to, uh, and they're kind of knuckling under to the. Uh, to the unions and things like that. To, oh, we don't want to have the, the, the school principals and stuff are going, having more guns in school is just going to add to the problem. Not when that school resource officer is trained, is equipped, and they've also spent about $4 bucks already in fencing and lighting improvements and security cameras and security vestibules. That is a, a security vestibule is going to be very important for every entrance and exit in that school. Okay, because what happens is when uh, when people are out there and, you know, do you remember in Ulvedi where Ulvedi, Texas shooting where they said, oh, well, it didn't have any um, any uh, effect on this. But yes, a teacher came out and they put a rock in the door to hold it open while they went to their car in the parking lot and then came back. And they had that on tape. They videotaped. They saw that. Well, then the shooter came and shot their way through the door. but and So they said it didn't matter. But it was a total breach of security. Okay? And you can't have that. Just like you can't have uh, gl glass doors that lock that don't have either laminated panels on them or the kind that... Do you remember the ones that have the, uh, the, the double-pane glass that have the actual... Um, wire grating in it yes yes those are expensive okay but so is the uh so is every life that we lose when we uh when, when you have inadequate things or you're saying that uh well having a school resource officer is uh, more actually just brings guns into school well it's a big difference okay so at any rate uh i think it's interesting to follow that um so let's see. We're going to have to keep an eye on that. Uh, but he's too busy right now worrying about the, the governor down there has a special session in, an, in the next month on a new red flag law. That'll fix everything, won't it? Okay. Let's see. Uh, once routine ATF inspections are now weapons of war, weapons in the war on guns. 
And this is interesting. We know from surveys that bad guys generally aren't walking into their neighborhood gun store and buying a firearm. No, they get guns through a variety of means, but rarely from a licensed gun dealer. The fact, that fact hasn't stopped the Biden administration from trying to track down on, crack down on what it describes as rogue gun dealers. Now, we all know what we think of a rogue gun dealer. Okay, that would be somebody who's out there selling guns out out the back door or through straw purchases or directly to gangs and things like that. That would be a rogue gun dealer, somebody who is down in down uh, south stealing them out of freight trains and then taking them north to to New York or something. That might be a rogue gun transaction. Okay, but what's going on now is that. Um, uh, and I want to say, if if you just say cut, tra- uh, cutting out and and cracking down on rogue gun dealers, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. That is a quote that isn't going to alarm most people. After all, we don't want people going around and breaking laws regarding the sales of firearms. So sure, cracking down on rogue gun dealers makes sense. Yet, as Larry Keene, and this is a, a writer, says that's not what's happening. So far in 2023, the ATF has conducted 6,609 inspections of firearms. Uh, FFLs starting October 1st, which is when the government's fiscal fiscal calendar year begins. That's closing in on 2022's annual total of 7,500. And at the rate that they're going right now, which is uh, they're conducting an average of 643 um, inspections a month, which is about 100 over what they were doing last year. At this pace, the ATF is expected to complete almost 9,000 inspections before the end of the fiscal year, okay? And what's happening is, now, in what they have are things like warning conferences where they will um, they will meet with somebody and talk about discrepancies. And in the past, there used to be, um, oh, gosh, just a small number of, of things that were brought up, Lily. And I want to say uh, record-keeping type of things. In the fiscal year 2020, the, the year that he was elected, there were 50, that Biden was elected, there were 5,800 ATF inspections. And there were a total of 40 license revocations um, with 96 FF hold, FFL holders that went out of business. That was like during COVID and stuff when they were going out. <laughs> The uh, ATF inspections resulted in 306 warning conferences and 804 warning letters. Warning letters were routinely issued for things like minor clerical errors in record keeping, like a misspelled name, uh, dates um, recorded incorrectly, and other administrative errors. And actually, I've seen that happen before where people have had to throw away a form and start over again because, like, for example, they will put in... Um, an abbreviation where it's not allowed. It used like you're used to writing "mi" for Michigan. Well, no, they want you to write out Michigan. Okay, like like even the post office knows about the two digit uh, uh, abbreviations. Okay, why can't you continue to use those? But these kind of administrative issues are now being turned into ways to. Um, uh, 
I want to say, harass the, the FFLs out there and to try to put them out of business. But more importantly, they're trying to make it harder for people to buy firearms, okay? The ATF has never been our friend, but under the Biden administration, they have jumped through every hoop with all certain amount of glee, and it appears to make selling guns as difficult as possible. The idea seems to be run millions of gun stores out of business and make it harder for us, the law-abiding citizens, to exercise our Second Amendment rights. Biden has weaponized the ATF against lawful gun owners and law-abiding gun stores, using mistakes as grounds to shut them down. It says, you can't, this can't go on for years and years and years. You can't, you cannot, I, I, you can have it, so let's say you get a, um, a uh, somebody who, you know, puts a, an initial in for a middle name instead of the middle name, or or somebody who the, a date is wrong in that they instead of zero, what is today zero uh, seven fifteen, they put fifteen seven. You know, like the European method of doing those can it it it's just a clerical error, but um, what it's doing is. In businesses, you can't go on for years and years without not making a paperwork area uh, error. But these rogue dealers, these these make them rogue dealers and rogue dealers, and Biden demonizes them. They're not selling machine guns out the back door. They're disposing of, or transposing a couple of numbers on a piece of paper. This weaponization of the government against the people has to stop. And so that's my support of. Um, of uh, <laughs> FFLs, and I can imagine why so many are leaving the business. This is like when, when Obamacare happened and it, so many um, doctor's offices closed their practices. They just said, that's enough. I can't do this anymore. This is All you're doing is trying to make it harder and harder for us to be our business. So at any rate, uh, well, gosh, it's about the end of the show here, and I want to say uh, thanks for your patience today and that... Um, I'll be back live in person next week. Um, we're having a great time, I'm sure, by now uh, out in the uh, out in the uh, uh, trenches at Tri County Sportsman's League with kids on the range day. This is Dick Kupke at Trigger Talk Radio here at Wham Talk 1692.7 FM. I'll see you next week. Welcome to Trigger Talk Radio with your host, Dick Kupke. From handguns to rifles and hunting to self-defense, even a bit of politics, it's time to exercise your First and Second Amendment rights. Call and join the conversation, 734-822-1600. And now, your host, Dick Kupke. Well, good morning and welcome back to Trigger Talk. It is Saturday, July 15th, and uh, we're going to have a fun time today. We're going to have a, a good show, and uh, let me start out right off the bat with some of the normal stuff we talk about. We've got, um, let's see, in Michigan we got two gun shows. We have the Taylortown Gun Show at the Taylortown Trade Center in Taylor, Michigan. That's uh, the 14th, 15th, and 16th. Uh, and we have the Flint Gun and Knife Show at the Dort Federal Event Center in Flint, Michigan. Uh, in Ohio, we've got uh, the Indoor Gun 
and Outdoor Flea Market, Shorty's Auction and Liquidation in Tiffin, Ohio. I love the names of these places. The CCFCA Gun Show and Swap at the uh, Clubhouse at Wilmington, Ohio. And uh, let's see, the Painesville Gun Show at the Lake County Fairground in Painesville, Ohio. And let's see, we've got Missouri, we've got uh, the Cape Girardeau Original Gun Show at uh, Cape Girardeau Arena Park in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. The uh, RK Neosho Three-Day Gun Show at uh, Newton County Fairgrounds in Neosho, Missouri. And the Independence American Legion Gun Show in Independence Mo at the uh, American Legion Post Number 21. And in, let's see, Arizona, we have got America Gun Shows in Kingman, Arizona. And the Crossroads Phoenix Gun Show in, uh, gosh, I wonder, I'm sure that they have them. They're, they're fine with air conditioning out there, aren't they? Like 130 degrees out in Phoenix. <laughs> there are times I am glad that I did not move to Phoenix. Um, let's see, that's in at the Arizona State Fairgrounds. And then the Snowflake Gun Show at Our Lady of the Snow Church in Snowflake, Arizona. That's a neat name of a... Of a, of a place in Snowflake, Arizona. Now, I can, I can remember being out in Arizona, uh, gosh, back in like 2003, 20 years ago, when I was working on a special police project with um, a fire suppression system that we developed for it. And uh, I can remember, I'll never forget, we were going to dinner at a, one of the uh, local law enforcement agency's uh, house, guy that we were working with out there. And... Um, it was like 7.30 at night. We were meeting at his house for dinner, and uh, we got on a in a car and took a drive there, and I look at the outside air temp, and it was 106 degrees still at 7.30 at night, and I'm going, nope, nope, that's not going to work for me. Uh, so I don't know. I think I could I could do the bit where you, you're a snowflake, you know, and you go to Florida or you go to Arizona or you go to uh, North Carolina or Georgia or I would like to go to Fairhope, Alabama, maybe, and and be there in the winter time only. But then you can't beat Michigan for being back in the summertime. So, uh, let's see our numbers. We are still at eight hundred and twelve thousand five hundred and fifty-five, and I am doing. I'll just just to let everybody know right up front. I am doing the show pre-recorded today, and that's because I'm doing the Kids on the Range event out at Tri County um this this weekend and um it it is a, a fun event where we're going to have I'll have to check and see but it's too late to add any more people now anyway cuz we're already uh at 11 o'clock we're partway through our our second group already uh or maybe at the end of our first group but um we have 60 kids or 50 some 52 55 whatever we might be a couple short uh divided into two groups of of kids that are actually six groups there's um six groups in the morning and six groups in the afternoon and what happens is um they are smaller groups than when we did women on target they're only five in each group and uh, they're, they're divided by age. There's an 8 to 11 group, and that group is going to do archery and 22 caliber rifles and 22 caliber pistols. And the 22 caliber pistols is what I do. And then uh, there's um, a um, 
group that's 12 to 18, and they do um, a turkey shoot with shotguns. They do um, high-caliber pistols, so they're going to be shooting 9s and 40s and 45s and stuff like that. And then they then they do a, a pin shoot, so they're going to have a blast. And um, then we re- so we do three groups each of the two age age groups in the morning and then we repeat it in the afternoon so i am really looking forward to that there are uh, i have five coaches that are working uh with me and for me and in the, in the uh, pistol group and we use the same targets and stuff like we do for um women on target so i have these new bold reactionary targets and i have shoot and seize and then i spent yesterday i uh, glued uh paint balls to paper plates again so um and and the kids you know they they are it's not like the adults who sit there and go you expect me to hit that that's only like 0.68 of an inch right there they're like oh okay boom 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 they'll get it <laughs> so it's going to be fun should be warm um but we're in the shade, and we got fans, so it won't be too bad. Uh, let's see. Homework. I was following up on some homework from last week. Uh, two items. First of all, why are old lead bullets white? And we had a discussion, and I thought it might be lead sulfate, and another guy thought it might be lead oxide, and So I did a lot of reading about it, okay? And so there's a couple of different opinions on this, but um, lead oxidizes over time or under certain conditions, high humidity, for example, or carrying cartridges in a leather belt where there's moisture and things like that, forming an impermeable white coating. That coating is harder than the lead. So it is very undesirable because it causes excess barrel wear. That's what I was worried about because, you know, when you try to scrape it off, and I've got some old boxes of 22s that are very old, and I've, I've actually got some, um, uh, and I'm not going to open them, darn it. I'd like to see. I've got some actual 19... 14 45 ACP military packages with uh you know the rounds still in it but I don't want to bu- open it to see if the rounds have any lead and I don't know if they're full metal jacket or if they were lead but I'll have to take a look and see uh so I kept reading on this and it said do lead bullets turn white and no it's not lead oxide so that was very interesting so uh let's see I want to discuss a topic my cousin brought up at the Thanksgiving dinner. This is the story I read reading about it. I've seen this question asked frequently, and I've often repeated and incorrect answers drive me nuts. If you're a big history buff and you found your way onto an old battlefield or two, this should resonate with you. And if you're a firearms enthusiast like my cousin Pete, stick around for the quick science lesson. But this first thing, let me give you the answer that brought you here. Lead bullets turn white, given enough time and exposure to the appropriate environmental conditions. Why do lead bullets turn white? It's common to find bullets with a white coating or powdery exterior. Now, this is true whether it's in your, your, you know, like I've heard of guys where um, they they have like a tin of 
of lead musket balls. Okay, 50 caliber musket balls for their muzzle loaders and stuff like that. They go to open them and they're all white, okay? Um, and also, I have found, and we used to find these down at my on, on the farm down in Indiana. We would find bullets. And they were, and actually we found some old revolver frames and we used to find tons of arrowheads. So I don't know if it was a battlefield or what, but there would be bullets that we would find. And they were like, um, oh, they, they looked like they were probably musket bullets because they had a couple grooves in them. They were maybe 45 or 50 caliber. Uh, could have been something from a, a revolver or a rifle, but uh, at any rate, we would find them, and they would be all white, okay? Um, for for uh, Let's see. It's common to find bullets with a white coating or powdery exterior. For bullets to eventually turn white, they must be made of pure lead or a lead alloy. This white stuff found on the bullet is known as patina, or a level of oxidation built over time. While you think you might think this is more likely found on recently discovered old Civil War bullets, it can occur in modern-day ammunition too. But here's the popular answer I take issue with. Everywhere I look, the white patina found on old bullets is chalked up to a case of lead oxide. Close, but no cigar. The white lead coating on old bullets is actually the oxidation of lead carbonate. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to have to say, we're going to have to get some chemists, <laughs> somebody smarter than me about all this stuff. Um, let's see, do guns come, let's see, oxidation is the culprit turning your bullets white. Am I being picky? Maybe, but there are some clear differences. I'm no chemist, but a quick online search will tell you that lead oxide comes in many colors. So I didn't realize this. Lead oxide comes in red, yellow, orange, and black, to name a few, but white isn't typically mentioned. However, lead carbonate always presents itself as a white corrosive substance. Okay, how does lead turn white? The oxidation process that turns lead white, specifically on bullets, is caused by prolonged exposure to moisture and carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is found just about everywhere. It's in the oceans, in the groundwater, in our atmosphere. And actually, you would think it's like one of the worst things in the world. It's a greenhouse gas, you know? Don't you know it's causing global warming? And it turns our bullets white. That's not good, okay? <laughs> in, the, in the past, bullets were made from pure lead unless shortages arose and other materials were used. Pure lead will degrade at a much faster rate than lead alloys. Pure lead is highly susceptible to oxidation, so modern bullets are usually coated with polymer or wax. Or they might be washed with, uh, you know, like 22s. You can find ones that have a co copper wash on them, ones that have like a brass coat coating like the the Remington Golden Bullets. Uh, a lot of times you find ones that are just dark gray. Well, they, they're not just plain lead. They have a wax or a coating on them that, that actually acts as a lubricant as well. 
Uh, let's see. But the process of making bullets, let's pure lead is highly susceptible to oxidation, so modern bullets are usually coated with polymer or wax. But the process of making bullets is a cautious one. Improperly shaped casings or heavy-handed crimping can easily scrape the coating of a bullet and expose the lead to harm, harmful elements. How long does it take? Uh, let's see. How long? Oh, let me go here. How long does it take to turn lead white? Well, does this happen overnight? Absolutely not. You can't put a specific number on how long it takes lead to turn white because of the individual conditions of the bullet. Specifically, the portion of, uh, hold on a second here, I've got to do some. i got to wiggle my mouse. I'm sounding like Theron now when he does his uh, uh, various shows and he goes, I'm going to wiggle my mouse. Uh, <laughs> okay, um, let's see. You, you, specifically, the portion of lead purity exposed and the environmental conditions it has been subject to. The rate at which a pure lead bullet with no protective coat, coating turns white will differ from a bullet partially coated sitting right next to each other. Given enough time, the environment can do damage to a lead bullet. Another thought is to consider the extremities that's interesting the way they, they worded that, of the environmental conditions. The more moisture or carbon dioxide affecting a lead bullet, the faster the oxidation process transpires. If you're like me, you hate the typical, of an, the typical answer of, well, it depends. I wish I could be more precise, but I have two facts that might demonstrate just how uncertain it is. First, Ammunition manufacturers will list an expiration date of 10 years after a bullet was made. Okay, We just talked about this last week. We talked about how is it okay to shoot old ammo. And I've shot ammo that's you know, 80, 90 years old before. Um, but this is technically... <laughs> More, but this is more of a technicality and for the lawyer's peace of mind. A carefully stored bullet will last until it's exposed to enough humidity and oxygen that the primer begins to degrade. Second, the rate of carbon dioxide increases constantly. And as I said, the more carbon dioxide exposure, the faster lead carbonate forms on the bullet. This is why... Um, you know, when you see um, ammunition that's 30, 40 years old and it's been packed in those uh, spam cans like the, the sardine cans where they uh, either evacuate them or have desiccant in them and they're sealed so that no moisture and no carbon dioxide can get in, that's why you can open one of those that's 50 years old and the ammo's still bright and shiny and looks like brand new. Okay, uh, let's see. Secondly, the rate of exposure of carbon dioxide increases constantly. Uh, let's see, currently the percentage of CO2 in the atmosphere is hovering about 0.04 percent or 419 parts per million as of October 22, which is when this article was written. Even if the overall view is small, the trend is moving up. Doesn't sound like a lot, does it? Well, there was actually a picture that showed uh, back like 50 years ago the um, the percentage of of uh, CO2 in the in the uh, atmosphere was like 
330 or 360 parts per million. Now it's 419, so it's up a little bit. And 400 is the number that, that the uh, climate change people are always saying, we got to stay below. But I don't think they're worried about our lead ammunition. They're more worried about other things like money they can collect. Let's see. Even if the overall view is small, the trend is moving up. Let's see. Is white lead dangerous? Before we tackle the danger level of white lead on bullets, let's define what we're talking about. You see, white lead can have two meanings. The first, more common meaning for white lead is basic lead carbonate. This chemical formula is what most people think of when discussing lead paint and lead poisoning. Of course, basic lead carbonate, widely referred to as white lead, is extremely dangerous. In its most harrowing cases, it can lead to seizures, a coma, and even death. But that's not the white lead that we're talking about on bullets. The form of white lead referred to as lead carbonate is only dangerous when exposure is reoccurring over a long, long period. The effects include blood, kidneys, and nervous system impairment, but you got to be, uh, you know, touching and, and handling the, all the time for years, okay? And, and this is one of the reasons that when we're um, teaching with people, we, um, we always, one of the things that we teach them, especially when they're shooting 22s or revolvers and stuff that may have lead rounds, not jacketed rounds or all you know, like the solid copper rounds that are becoming more popular. But we teach them that when you get done with the day at the range, you go in and wash your hands with soap in cold water. And the reason you use cold water is that keeps the pores on your hands closed so that the lead can't get into your blood system and your nervous system and things like that. Uh, let's see, but usually wearing gloves while handling lead bullets that have turned white, washing hands vigorously is all that's required to keep you from harm. Be careful where you put your fingers. <laughs> you don't know where those have been. Uh, if you happen to handle an oxidized bullet, ensure that you don't touch any parts of your face before washing up. While the exposure may not be enough to make you sick, it's better to be safe than sorry. So that is um, an interesting uh, take on it. I personally do not shoot 22 ammunition or any lead ammunition that has the white lead carbonate on it. It's because it is, it, you know, it's hard to scrape off and stuff. You can try scraping it off with a pocket knife and stuff. It is much uh, harder than the lead itself. So if you think about it, you're actually sending those bar those rounds down your barrel with the the equivalent of sandpaper on them or a Brillo pad or something like that. And so it's not not good, and it can result in bore wear on your rifle or your pistol. So anyway, that's a, a short take on that or actually quite long take. We talked about it for 20 minutes. Uh, let's see. The, the uh, next thing that I had is a uh, 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 homework assignment. And, you know, it's funny. when when you it's, it's like when you look things up on the Internet and you can find something that, that uh, you know, makes your point, uh, detracts from your point, whatever. But it must be true because I read it on the Internet, right? But uh, this has to do with polymer-coated bullets. And 
You see these are popular. They call them Syntec or high-tech, uh, polymer-coated. They call them blue bullets. There are red ones and orange ones and things like that. And they actually have like a little polymer or nylon uh, kind of shell over the bullet. And it actually prevents the, the lead case or the, the lead projectile in that case from touching the barrel. Uh, what's interesting is that uh, for the most part it is uh, softer than the the lead so it does not cause wear or anything on the on the barrel um, and I want to say uh, I even checking what I could from Glock um, and mostly from places like Glock Talk and other places where there are so many, quote, experts on it. But there are people that shoot hundreds and thousands of these polymer-coated bullets in Glocks with polygonal rifling and do not have a problem with it. If anything, I have seen where people ha that have shot these, like the red nylon-coated uh, uh, projectiles out of regular barrels with rifling, um, they have said that they've sometimes found little debris from it caught in the grooves, and it, but it does, it comes out with a brush. So I want to say um, the overall opinion seems to be that fire, firing polymer-coated bullets in Glocks or in any uh, that's Glocks with polygonal rifling or in and by the way, uh, Glocks are not the only guns that have polygonal rifling. Rifling. There are uh, Bursas and H&Ks and other brands, too, that use that same kind of rifling. So even though people have kind of think of it synonymously with Glocks, it, it is more popular out there than, you, than uh, most people know. And it apparently is not a problem. So at any rate, that's, uh, that is uh, the story on polymer-coated bullets in Glocks, okay? Uh, you know, something that surprised me this week, I saw a new announcement on a gun from, from Smith & Wesson, and um, this kind of goes along with what I have seen happening in the industry with pistols, and that is that um, they are starting to chamber them in 22 magnums and like the the so smith and wesson has just come out with an m p 22 magnum that is a it's a full-sized um uh full-sized gun um and it's got you know like a five inch barrel on it and or a 4.35 inch barrel and uh but it holds 30 rounds in the magazine just like that Keltec pmr 30 uh that's out there what a neat idea and you know even from a defensive pistol standpoint that makes sense if you if because uh, the 22 magnum typically has uh you know a 35 40 grain bullet uh traveling much faster than a 22 long rifle but you get you, when you've got 30 of them in there, you know, you get punched with 30 of those things. <laughs> uh, yes, that's a significant amount of lead. That's like 1,200 grams of, or grains of lead. You know, that's like a big, heavy bullet. So at any rate, um, I do think it's kind of interesting. And now the, the Keltec one goes for about $399, but the Smith & Wesson is $599. So pretty neat uh, looking gun. Take a look. It just came out. Anyway, uh, this is Dick Kupke at Trigger Talk Radio 
here at WAM Talk 1600. We'll be back in just a few minutes. 